We're continuing our series, No Other King, and the title of my sermon is Fulfilling the Commandments. And the key text is Exodus 20. Obviously, we know the Ten Commandments, so I'm not going to stand and read 17 verses out for you this afternoon. But just by way of introduction, it's worth actually noting that Moses never actually refers to them as the Ten Commandments. The Hebrew expression occurs three times in the Old Testament, in Exodus 34, verse 28, Deuteronomy 4, verse 13, and Deuteronomy 10, verse 4. Literally means the ten words. So this is why Exodus is often referred to as the Decalogue. Deca being the Greek word for ten, and logos, as we know, meaning word. So these are the ten words that God gave the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And I would say that these are words that are important to us and that we should follow. So what do they demonstrate to us this afternoon? Modern day Christians, how do Ten Commandments written thousands of years ago stand out for us? They demonstrate to us who God is. The, the law is an expression of the lawgiver's heart and character. And this afternoon we can't simply decide to ignore them. The commandments not only show us what God wants, they show us who God is like. They say something about his nature his character, his honor, his power, his majesty. They tell us matters of God's heart. So we simply cannot disdain the law without disrespecting the lawgiver. But more than that, they set us apart from the world. As Christians, we are kingdom of priesthoods and a holy nation. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And for us as Christians, there's going to be times where we're going to have to stand alone. We're going to have to stand alone in what we say we believe, in how we live out what we believe, when we are challenged by other people about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The rules of the world we don't understand, we don't subscribe to. Now, we know often there will be challenges, there will be persecutions, there will be trials, there will be struggles, but God's word remains true. God's word never changes. He never changes. So we have to line up to what he has called us to do, and that's the plan for us this afternoon. Now, I don't know about you, but in my early days as a Christian, you know, just any rules, any regulations is like, that's kind of awkward, right? Uh, these are things that you're trying to prevent my freedom, you're trying to stop me doing what I want to do, you're trying to prevent me from enjoying what I consider to be my freedom. But actually, they don't re remove our freedom, they provide it. The Ten Commandments don't remove our freedom, they provide it. We often think that they restrict us, as if God is somehow blocking our, our dreams, blocking our potential, not letting us fulfill our own goals, our own aspirations. But actually, we forget what it means where God says to us very clearly that he came to give us life and life in its fullness in John 10.10. 10. But also, he came to give us true freedom, John, John 8.32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. His laws in 1 John 5 verse 3 tell us are not burdensome. God is not trying to crush our lives with red tape and regulations. We'll leave that to the politicians on Brexit, yeah? God, God came to release us. God came to free us so that we can live the life that he has planned and purposed for us as Christians. They are rules for free people to stay free. But more importantly than that, they are also more trustworthy than our own inclinations, our own intuition, or even the cultural code of society today. We live in a paradoxical age where many will say, right and wrong, you kind of decide for yourself. 
And so that's a very sliding scale in how we choose to live our lives. But we also know that Proverbs 9, 10 says, the Bible is very clear here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The way to find moral instruction is not by listening to your gut, but by listening to what God says about his word. If you want to know right from wrong, if you want to know how to lead a good life, if you want to know how to live a life that will bless the people that God has placed in your life, then we must be wise to his ways, which means paying attention to the Ten Commandments. But they are also central to the ethics of the New Testament. When we read Mark 10, verse 17, this is where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. And then Jesus begins to list the second table of the law, the commandments that relate to our neighbors. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Jesus isn't laying out a path for earning eternal life. We know from the rest of that story that Jesus is setting this man up for a bit of a fall because no one command he obviously hasn't obeyed, Jesus does not skip, do not covet. It is noteworthy that when Jesus gives a convenient summary of our neighborly duties, he goes straight to the Ten Commandments. We can't ignore them. We have to embrace them this afternoon. But they were also not given so that we could earn our salvation. Some people view this in Christianity, and I fell into this in my early days. If you follow the rules and the regulations, God is going to love you. If you do this, God is going to love you a little bit more. If you don't do that, God's going to love you even a little bit more. Rules and regulations. God is a God of love. God is a God of love. We cannot escape that this afternoon. The Israelites in this moment were an oppressed people. And God said, I hear your cry. I will save you because I love you. And they were saved, free and forgiven. Salvation is not the reward of obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. Jesus does not say, if you obey my commands, I will love you. What does he do? He washes the feet of his disciples and then says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments in John 14. Are they relevant for us as Christians today? The answer is a resounding yes, whether we like it or not. Unfortunately, we have to embrace them. Can we keep the commandments perfectly or fully? Probably not. Do they show to serve us our sin and lead us to the cross of Calvary? A hundred percent. But the commandments also show us the way to live, the way to love our neighbor, and the way to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul. We still need those 10 words that were handed down at Sinai. Have they changed in some respects by our coming to Christ? Probably. They've been transformed, but they've not been thrown away. We still have to embrace them this afternoon. We can no longer keep the 10 commandments right unless we keep them in Christ, through Christ, with a view of his all-surpassing confidence and greatness of Christ Jesus. And as new creations, the law is not only our duty, but our delight. If we want to love Christ as he desires and deserves, we will keep his commandments. There are lots of other laws in the Old Testament, but these are the foundationals. The rest follow. The law is just like him, completely unchangeable for us this afternoon. So instead of dispensing with the law, Jesus actually insisted on the continuing relevance of it and fulfillment of it, and he actually took significant steps to prove that to us in Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18. He declares that he came not to destroy the law, which was spoken from Sinai. I came not to destroy, says Christ, but to fulfill. Isaiah prophesied years before in Isaiah 42 to magnify the law and make it honorable. Jesus says, truly I say to you, 
So he's making a very clear assertion this afternoon. He's making it as definitive and emphatic as possible. Until heaven and earth pass, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what he teaches here is not merely what the claims of God's law have been and were then, but these claims will hold as long as heaven and earth remain in place. This testimony should forever settle that question in our heart about whether or not there's value in those Ten Commandments. The law of God is as unchangeable as him and his throne. It will maintain its claims upon all mankind through the ages, unchanged by time and circumstances. There is perfect harmony between the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. The gospel is a good news of grace and a favor which has helped release us all here this afternoon from the condemnation of sin, and it has helped us walk in the wholeness and the freedom that we find ourselves in as believers today. Romans 3, verse 31, do we then make void the law through faith? Hopefully not. But what we do do is declare that the law is holy and that commandment is holy and just and good, as declared in Romans 7, verse 12. Christ was man's example, man's representative, and he declares, I have kept my father's commandments in John 15, 10. The most fateful delusion for us as Christians is to show contempt for God's law. It was God who pulled it down from Sinai. It was God who gave the law to Moses, engraved on tablets of stone, Faith in Christ must be accomplished and accompanied by obedience to the law of God. Paul speaks in Romans 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So Paul here is exalting the moral law. He's lifting it up. And when that is practically applied to our everyday life, we gain the wisdom of God. It serves to detect the sin in our lives. It discovers the defects in our moral character. It challenges us in areas of our lives that we wouldn't otherwise feel challenged in. God's law is a photocopy of his mind and his will. It is a love promised to us that as we express his will, we will live a life that glorifies him. He has given us a rule book to live life by. Obeyed, man will live by it and through the merits of Christ. If we transgress it, it has the power to condemn. The law will always send men to Christ and Christ will always point us back to the law. So how do we get access? Well, let's look at a minute by evaluating the thing that separates us from God. Maybe you're in this place this afternoon and you felt condemned by some of the things that you've been through. You're not alone. But the reality is, even for me in my early days as a Christian, even before I was a Christian, I led a very, very destructive lifestyle. Very self-centered, it was toxic, it was self-seeking, self-effacing. I led a life that didn't honor, that didn't glorify God, and I got involved in stuff that was way over my head, way out of my league in terms of understanding the responsibilities that I'd been given. If you like, as my mother always said, you had a finger over the self-destruct button. So bad was my life before I was a Christian that my mother said when I left home at 16, at the rate you're at, by the time you're 21, you'll either be in a gutter or behind bars. Such was the, the negative life that I was leading. You know, it was, it, was, it was unhealthy, it was ungodly. I'm not necessarily proud of any of it, right? But even in those moments, God was protecting me. In those moments, God was revealing himself to me and he was already planting the seeds in my life. 
but it took time for that to come to pass. But it's sin that separates us from God today. I'm not a perfect man. I support Arsenal, I mean. So like, like, and I'm not even ashamed of that, right? So that's like blatant sin, that's not even hidden. Um, You know, it's awkward. But uh, the reality is that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's all I am. I think Simon mentioned something to me earlier. He said, you know, two people that are saved when they try and connect to somebody else, it's just one beggar giving another beggar some bread. That's awesome. What a way to look at what a way to look at the gospel. What a way to look at our lives. But the reality is that I found in my own life sin is exhausting. Don't know about you, but it's exhausting. In my early days, the lies about where I was going, who I was with, how I was spending my money, what I was doing, and then you tell one lie, and then someone starts to pick around that lie, and then you have to tell another lie to cover that lie, and then another lie, and then it's like you don't even know what the truth is anymore, right? Anyone been there, just me? Amen, amen, we're all sinners. (laughs) Saved by grace. But the the biggest problem I found with my sin in my early days as a believer was that it gives you illusion, doesn't it? It gives you an illusion and a completely false sense of hope. It slowly but surely kills you and erodes your, your life out of every single part of your being. However, we've been given an answer this afternoon. God's grace. This is the access that we have. God's grace gives us access to all the riches in Christ that we become that new creation, we become that son and that daughter in whom he loves and whom he is well pleased. But it starts with us recognizing that he came to destroy the sin in our lives. He came to set us free from the bondages and the strongholds and the mindsets and the challenges that we have. His grace is sufficient and unending. It can and it will sustain you through every single season in your life. When you walk in his grace, you will understand what truly satisfies the deepest longings of your heart. And that's him and him alone. Nothing and no one else will satisfy. His grace is real. It is a blatant reality, unlike the challenges that we can find with our sin. And at the foot of that bloodstained cross this afternoon, we find redemption, we find restoration, we find reconciliation, and we find relationship with a Father who is pleased with us, who loves us unconditionally. We can live in our true identity in Christ this afternoon. That's the goal for us. But it starts with us honoring him for who he really is, acknowledging who he is and his plan and his purpose and his destiny for our lives. And it takes time to do these moments of self-reflection where we look at our lives and go, well, you know, maybe I can obey the first seven commandments and maybe not the last three. We, we, I, we can't pick and choose. We have to obey all what God has called us to do. And I don't know you, about you, but I know that obedience over sacrifice every time. And sometimes we get these frameworks to work in, such as the Ten Commandments, it gives us a, a blueprint, it gives us a platform, it gives us the framework in which we can live our lives, and it's good for us. They're not to restrict us, they're not to like somehow harm us or marginalize what we want to do in our lives, but actually it's God's way of saying, hey, live like this, and this is how you can live a life that honors me, that brings me glory, that brings me honor. And yet the reality is, if you look at the Ten Commandments, if my memory's right, I think six are about honoring God, four are about honoring others. None of them are about yourself. It's about how you live your life for God and for other people. And that's what we're called to today. 
That's the invitation for us today, is to live lives that glorify God so that we can fulfill those commandments. We can fill, fulfill the commandment, the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Even that is one continual thought. There's no separation between the two. But often we'll stop at one and not do the second because of the challenges, because of the hurts, because of the pains that we found in our lives. We naturally want to shrink away or recoil in relationships or in broken marriages or in different situations that we find ourselves in because that's easier to do. And then we start violating some of these commandments that God has given us. And yet that's not what God calls us to today. God calling us to a radical invitation to stand up, to step forward, to lay hold of everything that he has for us, to live the life that will bring honor and glory to his name. And we do that by honoring these commandments. We do that by honoring every commandment in the scriptures. But today I want to focus on Exodus 20, verses 1 to 17. And you, you guys know those verses as well as I do. And when we do that, we see God's power manifested. We see his glory manifested. But without it, we just in, we're in a cesspool of sin and struggles and challenges and, and problems that are seemingly quite small become quite big. I don't know about you, but even since I was a Christian, you know, I don't know, my life seems to be like London buses, you know, like just quite boring for a long period of time. And then you get like three problems in a row and then nothing for five years and then three problems in a row. But even in those moments, I have to choose obedience. Obedience to what God has called me to do, even when sometimes the natural thing is to violate the Ten Commandments. The natural thing is to slander. The natural thing is to gossip. The natural thing. And we'd all do it under the auspices of, oh, I'm praying for you, brother. No, you're not. You're back chatting. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Don't spiritualize it. Call it what it is. Be honest. Those moments of, of, of self-reflection are vital if we want to grow in our Christian walk. Taking time to go through what God has called each of us to do. Take time to analyze our own lives. Are we living the life that we project? Are we living the life that we say we are? Are we living according to God's commands or are we kind of adjusting them to satisfy our own current season and criteria? So I'm going to love these group of people, but not these group of people. It doesn't work like that. God's called us to love. God has called us to honor and obey every single command that he's given us. And when we do that, we live a life that honors him. And I tell you what, the lost will know. The lost will know. When we live lives that are intentional, that are, in, that are purposeful, that bring glory and honor to his name, that point the, what is in us to Christ, when people meet us, they're going to know that you're carrying something, that you're intentional, that you're deliberate, that you're living out what you say you believe, that what you say you believe and what you live out, there's no gap, piece of paper, maybe, between the two. But often there is a gap. There's a, a disparaging gap between what we say we believe and what we live out what we believe. And yet here he is. He's given us here commands to live our lives in a way that brings him honor, that brings him glory. Because without it, we're just living in sin. Even violating the Ten Commandments, it's sin. We, we, can, we can spiritualize it, but it is sin. And for us today, I've fallen into the trap. I've fallen into the trap where you, you think you're being nice about a situation, but you find yourself maybe not being quite so nice. You, you, you think you're being spiritual in a situation and you find it's not quite so spiritual and it's a bit awkward. And it's in those moments that our hearts have to break for what breaks God's heart because we're called to bring restoration to people. We're called to bring life to people. We're called to bring joy in every situation. And when we do that, God is glorified. 
God is honored in, in and through every single part of our being. And so that's the charge for us this afternoon, friends, is how do we want to live our lives? Do we, do we, even, do we even acknowledge these Ten Commandments, or do you just think there's some old scripture written thousands of years ago for a bunch of people, ah, it's irrelevant, doesn't apply to us today. It does. All of it does. Every single part of it does. And, and we can't hide away from that. We can't ignore it. The goal for us today is to maybe have a minute of self-reflection and ask ourselves, which of them am I violating? Because I've broken one or two of them. One or two. Right? But the reality is probably all of us have broken at least one. Maybe. Just, just, no, just me. Okay, just me. No, I'm joking. The reality is that we have. And the question now is, do we want to acknowledge that? Do we want to change and shift our thinking and our perception and our reality? And do we want to partner and be transformed by the renewing of our mind and the renewing of these words in a way where God can then break into our lives, where we start living those wholesome, intentional lives that bring glory and honor to God's name, where we live lives that honor and love and serve one another, that we're not doing it to look good, we're not doing it to be the part, but God sees our heart in everything that we do. So, you know, we can play games with each other, but God knows. So when you take the time to make a phone call to someone because they have a job interview tomorrow or they've just lost their mother to cancer, but it's like, oh, I'm going to do this and then put it on Snapchat, like God sees that. Like God sees that. God sees the motive of your heart. And I don't know about you, but I, this challenges me on a regular basis, am I doing things from a right motive? Because the natural answer, oh, of course I am. Well, no, not necessarily all the time. And so I want to find those moments in my life where maybe I'm not being as focused, not being as intentional, not being as committed as I can be, and start understanding why am I motivated to do this in this season? Because it's then that God can break in. He can cleanse, he can renew, he can restore, he can uphold. And then we see the power of God manifesting. But it starts also just with acknowledging the sin. You know, in my life, I, like I said, I don't want to go into too much detail because I still want to be your friends, <laughs> if I can. Um, but, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I've, I've done stuff that I'm not proud of. I've done things that, that have, I thought, have separated me permanently from God. And maybe you're in that place today where you think your sin is so bad or so deep or it's so long-lasting that somehow God can't forgive me. Somehow God can't connect me to his love again. But the reality is that we know that when you're down to nothing, God is always up to something. The reality is that his love covers a multitude of sins. And when we experience that love, it transforms us. And all you want to do is duplicate it. So a lot of the times, that's what I try and do. That's what I, how I try and live my life in a way where I can demonstrate Christ to other people and share what God has done in my life. And it's not always pleasant, like I said, you know, and our testimony is something that's current. So that's another thing I really want to encourage you guys to do. It's not a historical thing that God did 50 years ago in your life, or 20 years ago. It's what God did today. Like, you're awake. It's Resurrection Sunday. We have a lot to celebrate. We have a lot to be thankful and grateful to God for. We're alive. We're healthy. We know the Lord. We know where we're spending eternity. We have family and friends. Most of us have jobs. We have a lot to be grateful for, but often in those moments, we don't acknowledge it because we're looking at the, the challenges in our lives. And yet God says, come a little closer, draw a little closer, grab what's in my heart, grab my commandments, grab my word, embrace it, chew it, read it, 
Let it pour into your heart. Let it transform you from the inside out. Then you will see the glory of God manifest in every single area of your life. You will see outbreaks of favor. You will see dreams and visions. You will have abundance. You will have joy. You will have wholeness and healing. And it's all at the foot of that bloodstained cross. And so that's my invitation to you this afternoon. Come a little closer. Embrace God's word in totality. Don't rip the pages out that you don't like. You don't do that reading your Harry Potter book, so don't do it with the Bible. Yeah? We have to take God at his word. We have to trust him that this is good for us. His word is good. It's to give us life. It's to give us meaning. It's to shape us and mold us so that we can fulfill the plan, the purpose, the destiny that he has already assigned for us. And the closer we get to honoring his word, the better and the richer our view of that experience is going to be.